Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am so glad you're here as always. And if you're new, thank you for coming on and checking us out. I do hope that you stay and keep coming back because we're having awesome conversations here about how to advocate for our kids of all different kinds in a one-size-fits-all world. And before I introduce you to our guest today, I want to tell a really cool story. So if you remember Natalie Freeze, she was on, gosh, a couple episodes back. I think it was in our first season, so it might be a couple months ago now. And she talked about, uh, gosh, I hope I can pronounce this correctly, but it's simbrachydactyly. <laughs> it was a new vocab word for me. It's a complex, hard to spell word that simply means a limb difference. And she bravely came on and talked about her journey with her daughter. And she just let me know maybe a week ago or so that a mom who had the same diagnosis for her child was Googling the Zimbrachydactyly and found the Mothers of Misfits episode and reached out to Natalie. And my heart just grew a couple sizes in hearing that. I was so excited because that's what we're here for. And that is just the coolest thing. And Natalie was excited and I was excited. And to that mom, if you're listening, I don't know your first name, but I hope you're here. And I just love that. I really hope that everybody gets those kinds of connections and encouragement and resources out of this. And can you do me a favor? If that's you, if Mothers of Misfits has impacted you in a positive way, do you mind just dropping us a review? Uh, because that's another way we can pay it forward by you reviewing the podcast. More people can hear about it and we'll make more connections between moms and build this community. Okay, I'm done with all that, but I want to introduce you without further ado to Savan Hong. She authors and illustrates the children book series, The Super Fun Day Books. Her inspiring books focus on neurodiverse children who overcome their challenges with perseverance and bravery. Savan also serves as a trustee on the boards of the Westport Public Library, the Rita Allen Foundation, and the ASPCA. She lives in Connecticut with her husband, two kids, a dog, and a cat. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. Yeah. Okay, so let's just get right into it. What inspired you to write books about neurodiverse children? So... I am neurodiverse myself. I have ADHD and I have two neurodiverse boys. They are um, eight and 10. And when they were younger, when they were really interested in picture books, I could not find books that highlighted kids with neurodiversity. And children's books play this incredibly magical role in kids' lives because they create mirrors where kids can see themselves and they create windows where you could see other kids in their lives. But my kids were not seeing other kids in picture books like them, right? So there, I couldn't find a picture book with a kid who wore headphones for sensory issues or who had fidget toys or had a different chair in school. And so I wanted to create stories that highlighted these differences so that kids could see themselves in the books and feel normal, right? And not feel like there was something wrong with them. 
I love everything about that. As you're talking about those particular instances and situations, I'm realizing, yeah, I really hadn't seen that before. Because I would have thought if somebody said, hey, Emily, do you think there's books out there on neurodiverse characters? I would have thought, yeah, plenty. And then as you say those specific um, instances or situations, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I haven't. I really haven't seen that in a book. So there really was a vacuum, a hole in in the world of children's books. I think there are some unbelievable books out there for, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth graders. But when Mm -hmm. you look at the younger kids, and that's usually when these kids are getting diagnosed or when we're starting Mm -hmm. to see some of those differences in the preschool classroom or in the kindergarten classroom, there wasn't anything like that. And I thought to myself, other moms need to have this as a tool for their kids, but it's also important to have them for moms of not misfit kids. Because you're going to see another kid in the classroom wearing headphones and come home and be like, mommy, why does this kid wear headphones? Or how come this kid gets to chew gum? I don't get to chew gum. Or why do they get the fun wobbly seat? There are all of these different things that are happening in a classroom that young kids, they pick up on, right? They Mm -hmm. see it. Mm -hmm. And these books can be used as teaching tools to have those conversations with neurotypical kids as well. That is such a important thing to say because it's it's all about exposure and appreciating that misfit part of all of us. And we all bring something very unique and different to the table and normalizing our differences and really celebrating that, but also giving our kids that exposure so we can have those conversations at home and help them understand how to think about that and interact with kiddos that look different from them or have different accommodations in school and um, create curiosity as well and reward that. So let's talk about normalizing because how can a book normalize different? If you see something in a book, if a picture shows a character that has a difference, suddenly it doesn't feel so different anymore. I get emails from moms who say, my kid opened the page and suddenly got excited and pointed to the character and said, oh my gosh, mommy, it's just like me, right? They know, they, they're they aware enough at those young ages to really get that sense that what they're experiencing may not be what other kids are experiencing. My books are structured like social stories and in special education, social stories are tools that teachers use to help young children understand their feelings and help them then understand an experience that they are going to have. And so there are these illustrations that talk about kind of the differences, but it's also the emotions and the tools that help kids understand their feelings and the feelings they have about the different, all in a really positive way. Um, In my house, neurodiversity is considered very cool. And when Mm -hmm. my second grader was diagnosed with ADHD and I talked to him about it and we talked about how he has this race car brain and he goes super fast and he has to learn to slow down or he's going to jump the curbs. But like with this kind of brain, he could win the race. And we talked about it. He's like, mommy, I'm never going to tell any of my friends I have ADHD because I don't want to brag. And I'm like, okay, gold star on it, done what I was supposed to do as a mom in this case, and really make them feel like differences are great. I love that you also talked about the potential to jump the curb. I think with every 
strength, there's a watch out. You know, we have to really own it and own our impact of our strengths and our abilities and our uniqueness. But if we don't operate as stewards of those unique gifts, that's when we jump the curb. As I say to the kiddos that I coach, I always say, great power comes great responsibility. And since you have superpowers, you have the choice to use your powers for good or evil. So make sure to use them for good. So those are kind of the conversations that we have and letting them know that, hey, you get to call the shots here in terms of how you're going to choose how to use this amazing um, strength that you have to make good impacts on the world and on your friends and at school. Um, But you got to focus and, you know, really make sure that you're um, applying those strengths in positive ways. Exactly. And teaching our kids to advocate for themselves. I'm Mm -hmm. not in the building. I can't be in that classroom telling him when he needs a break or telling him when he needs to put his headphones on because you know, all the other kids are making so much noise, he can't focus. Those are the things that he is going to have to learn to do on his own. And giving him those tools to show him how to do that, that means later on in life, it's going to be so much easier for him. And that's what I want to do. I have my older son is what's called the 2E. So he's twice exceptional. He has autism, ADHD, and is also in the gifted program. And He cannot sit in a classroom and listen to something that somebody's saying because it's just a single input. So he literally sits in his desk and he works on Rubik's cubes while his teacher's talking. And I was able to get the teacher to agree to let him do that. And all of a sudden, his ability to focus on what's happening in the classroom skyrocketed, which seems so Mm -hmm. counterintuitive. To what you would think that, you know, this kid is focusing on doing his Rubik's Cube quickly. He's definitely not listening to the teacher, but he is. And so having those types of interventions to help our misfit kids in a school system that's not designed for them is so critical. Yeah, my my Mason, my oldest, is somewhat similar. He doesn't have the um, same diagnoses, but he is gifted and he also operates in a way that needs a lot of multitasking and variety and multiple inputs. And I think I've shared this story a bunch of times on the podcast, but my husband, who is an engineer, need I say more, you know, watches Mason operate and I don't know how he does it. Like I'm having a hard time staying calm watching what he's doing. But what was so cool was Mason it does fabulously in school. He gets the result. He shows us that he's learning. But the way he does homework is to have a book playing on his Alexa while he's doing his homework, while he's jumping on a trampoline. And he might actually be reading another book too. I mean, it's like this flurry of activity. And so I try to explain it to teachers or other parents or youth pastors as doing that activity like the Rubik's Cube actually gives him the ability to focus on what you're saying. Because without that, his brain is racing for that place to just sort of settle. And you're right. It's interpreted as it's like that kid who doodles in class and the teacher scolds them for doodling because they're saying you're not paying attention. And so many times that is the child's tool to pay attention. So I love that you're really challenging some of these sort of assumptions about what 
a lack of attention looks like. And it's important that we don't make these across the board judgments that a child may not quote unquote look like they're paying attention, but that may be exactly how they pay attention. That's right. And educating our teachers and the schools onto the variety of different ways this manifests itself. I mean, I feel very lucky that my son's teacher is totally fine with him sitting there doing a Rubik's Cube. If my son had a choice, he'd be playing on his switch and listening <laughs> in class, right? Like, because he would actually comprehend even more that way. Like, He's mm-hmm. one of these people that needs to multitask in so many different ways. And my younger son is just like yours. He listens to audiobooks while he does his homework, while he's listening to music all at the same mm-hmm. time. And I walk in there and my head feels like it's going to explode, but that's how he focuses. And so the system has to change slowly, but it does because we're not getting the most out of these kids when we think that every single brain And it starts with what you just said, teaching our kids to be their own best advocate. And while they're learning to do so, we can stand in and be that advocate for them and letting teachers know. And, you know, this is delicate, right? Because they are working so dang hard, um, arguably harder than they've ever worked. They're tired. We can't stress them to the max. That's not fair. They need freedom to be their own person. So I'm really sensitive to finding that common ground where we're not making more work for teachers, we're not making more work for parents. You know, I really believe there is a place that we can get to where everyone has the freedom to be themselves in the classroom. And it's not harder. It's actually easier for everyone. But it's going to take some work and we can't let off the gas. You know, we as parents, we as the mom community, we got to keep, you know, fighting the good fight, coming up every day, showing up. And letting teachers know, hey, this is what it looks like for my child to be successful. Um, How can we work together to not disrupt the other kiddos, but give my child and the next child over what they need to thrive in your classroom? So tell us more about the book series, the Super Fun Day books. So it's a series of books that handle different situations that are based on real life stories. So the first one I wrote was, is called Benny J and the Horrible Halloween. And it was all about how in kindergarten, my oldest son refused to walk into school the day of the Halloween parade. And as a mom, I couldn't understand. Look, this is supposed to be one of the funnest, most exciting days of the year for you. Kids love Halloween. And he absolutely wouldn't get out of the car. And so we sat there until the Halloween parade was over, until the party was over. And then I brought him in. And I felt like a complete failure as a parent. Then like, I am missing something. Like, I do not understand what's happening inside of my son's head. It's something that I thought was gonna be so enjoyable, turned out to be so bad. And so I spent the rest of the year working with his team and his teachers to find out what happened and to figure out a way to make it better. So the following year, We went through a series of steps to get him to overcome the fears that he had about Halloween, and he succeeded. And now he loves Halloween. But the story talks about those initial fears, the fact that the costumes can seem scary for young kids. Not that it's a scary costume, but all of a sudden your friends don't look like your friends, right? Or your teacher doesn't look like your teacher. And what if you don't know? Like, all of a sudden that 
feels strange or it's going to be extra loud. So we let him wear his headphones with his costume and we built that in. And all about taking a belly breath when you're nervous and all of these steps for little kids to be able to then understand what's happening so that they can do a better job. And while it's a story about Halloween, it translates to every big scary event that can happen in a kid's life. My George Day in the Miserable Monday book is about Mondays and how hard they can be for kids with a lot of anxiety. And particularly now, um, kind of in our post-COVID world, school anxiety and school refusal for young kids, and frankly, for older kids, is a real challenge. School can feel like a scary place. Um, and the weekend gives them time to start worrying again about that experience. And so it's how do you get through Monday and, and talking about all of those fears about school so that the child can see that, you know, the change between the Sunday and the Monday isn't so bad and that they know what they're doing. And then the last book that I wrote is actually called Emily D and the Fearful First Day. And it's about the first day of school. And for neurodiverse kids, that can be a very challenging day. It's challenging for all kids, but it's a story about a girl and her fears about not wanting school to happen because it's so much change. And she gets to go into the classroom a little bit earlier than the other kids, which is a great tool for parents with kids with anxiety or more diverse kids to get to meet the teacher without all the other kids around. But then she sees that the other kids were nervous too, that it wasn't just her. Right. And that they can get through that day. All of my books have this theme around the challenge of change, because for neurodiverse kids, change can be very, very challenging and how you can own your emotions and that your emotions are real and authentic. And then how do you work with them to overcome all of those fears? I'm working on a, a fourth book about the end of school because that's also one where you feel like the kids are so excited and they want summer to happen. But again, it's a huge change in their lives. And when you look at a six-year-old and they've been in school for 10 months and all of a sudden you're like, nope, everything's going to change. And when you go back to school, you're not going to have the same teacher and you're not going to have the same kids in your class. That level of anxiety for kids at that time of year spikes. And so this is a story to help them work through some of those challenges. And the best thing about these books is it's not just telling a great story because it is, but it's actually giving parents solid proven strategies for helping kiddos through these transitions and experiences. So the, the child is having fun because they're seeing other kids that look like them and enjoying the story. But I'm hearing that parents are actually learning, okay, here are the step-by-step -step ways that I can help my child, no matter, you know, if they're neurodiverse or neurotypical through these universal experiences. That is awesome. So Vaughn has generously offered to give away totally free a signed copy of her book, George Day and the Miserable Monday. So here's the deal. If you went in on that and I went in on that, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to get all the books, but if you want a free signed copy, then here's what you've got to do. Sign up if you aren't already. If you are already signed up, you're you're in on this. But 
sign up uh, for our episode insiders newsletter. And you can do that by going to mothersofmisfits.com. It's going to take you 30 seconds. Just sign up to receive that. We send out an email every Tuesday when our episodes drop and you uh, are the first to know about the episode. You get insider information about our cool guests like Savon. So it's so good all around just to have uh, delivered to your inbox every week. But if you are signed up, for the episode Insider Newsletters within a week from this episode airing, then you are automatically in the running uh, to receive that signed copy of the book. We're going to pick from the folks who are signed up. So make sure to do that because you don't want to miss out. This is just too cool of an offer and free stuff is cool stuff. I mean, who doesn't want something free? So uh, Sivan, it has been such a pleasure to have you on today. I really enjoyed the conversation, Emily. And to mix it myself. I love this podcast. Oh, that means so much. And she said she already referred some friends. So friends, if you're listening, welcome. So glad um, that you uh, decided to check us out. And we just appreciate you. Thanks for, again, encouraging us in our own misfit journey and empowering us with amazing parenting tools to help our kids embrace what makes them wonderfully unique. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.